Guy was in a tragic, tragic, terrible accident. And um, the doctor called the family together. And uh, as, he, as he brought the family in, he said, I, I'm very sorry, but the, the only hope um, for this man to live is, is a brain transplant. They said, a brain transplant? I, we've never even heard such a thing as possible. How, how could this possibly be? And the doctor said, well, it's, it's very experimental surgery. Um, in fact, the, the bad news, uh, well, the good news is that I, I think it could save him, but the bad news is you're, you're going to have to pay out of pocket for us to do this. They said, okay, well, I, I mean, let's talk, let's talk to us. What's, what's it going to take to save, save his life? He said, well, we can do a, a brain transplant. And because he is a guy, we could do a, a, a transplant of a, of a male brain, and that will cost, and that'll cost about a quarter of a million, about $250,000. They said, oh, that's, I mean, we love him and all, but that's, that's pretty steep. And he said, well, I, I could do something else. I don't usually do this, but I can offer you a woman's brain for just $25,000. And they said, well, why is the woman's brain only $25,000? This doctor said, well, it has been used. <laughs> mental Health Awareness Month. So, all right, friends. So you got, okay. Hey, it's Mental Health Awareness Month. We're two weeks in, and um, we are talking about mental health here at Connections. And we are doing this because we need to just raise the um, the bar here for the church to engage with the mental health of uh, one another, of our community, of, of our world, because we know that the church has a long and rich history caring for the souls of one another, right? I mean, we know that in many ways this is the, the, the heart of the mission is to care for the souls of one another and the people around us to share the good news of the gospel, that there is salvation, there is life, there is forgiveness of sins, there is forever in our union with Jesus Christ. So we care for souls. Amen and amen. We have been really at the forefront, the leading edge of caring for bodies, right? I mean, most every hospital's origin is with a people of faith, is with the church, is with uh, believers picking up the mantle of healing, a healing ministry, right? Amen. We do that. We do that well, and we need to keep doing that. The church has even been at the forefront of caring for minds in so many ways with education. Almost every university school started with, again, the church, people of faith, teaching literacy, teaching the sciences, teaching uh, the humanities. The church has been at the forefront of education. But somehow when it comes to mental, emotional health, the church, I think, and I can just kind of, I can be a, a, a critic because I speak from within, um, we've maybe even been falling behind. We haven't been leading the way in saying, let's bring forward caring for people's emotional and mental health and wellness. And that is why now for the second year in a row, we are just bringing this front and forward for all of us because we know it is wonderfully normal. It's even celebrated, of course, when somebody comes forward in the church and they say, hey, I was uh, diagnosed with, with cancer. What do we say? Let's pray for you. Let's bring you meals. Let's help you. Let's serve you. We care for couples. Couples can get counseling to build a strong uh, marriage. We know this. Uh, we provide scholarships for education. Again, we do so many of these things so well, and let's keep doing them well, 
But now let's make it more normal, example, for, and, and I'll just go to some of the common ones, for somebody to be able to say, hey, um, I'm a new mom, it's Mother's Day, but I'm struggling with postpartum depression. And we can say, hey, let's walk with you through that struggle because we know that is real and that is hard. To be able to normalize and destigmatize somebody coming forward and saying, uh, I, I'm just experiencing profound anxiety uh, or depression. Hey, let's help, let's get counseling, let's maybe get medication, let's pursue every intervention possible to work towards your mental and emotional wellness and wholeness. That is what we want to be doing here at Connections, and we would say that for the whole church, of course, to normalize this, because we affirm, of course, that we are called to love the whole person. Jesus affirms this. I mean, we are called to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So our strength, our bodies, our souls get committed to God, uh, our hearts, our emotions, our minds. I mean, this is embedded within the call of Jesus to love the whole person. And so we love the whole person. We affirm that God reflects this in the being of God. God is a relational triune being. God shares God's thoughts with us in the scriptures. Throughout the scriptures, we see time and again, God's emotions reflected. We see anger, of course, in God, but we see much more. We see the steadfast love uh, of God. We see the longing heart of God for his people. We see all of this reflected in our God. And of course, we are people who celebrate the resurrection of the body. We have that embedded in a lot of our um, prayers. We have that embedded in some of our confessions. You know, when we say the Apostles' Creed, we celebrate. We are looking forward to, just as Jesus was resurrected, the resurrection of our own body. And we know that that means a sin-free whole body. But let's not forget that with that resurrected body, we still have a mind, right? We still have thoughts. And we're still going to have emotions. We're going to carry those with us. We're going to carry all of this with us. But then in that, un, uh, in that kind of perfect, that, 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 that sin-free body, that sin-free heart, that sin-free mind, those sin-free emotions. But this is the beauty of the reflection of the image of God in every one of us, that we carry all of this with us throughout eternity. Let's just get more comfortable with that message, with that calling, with that vision of the kingdom of God, right? So this is very much embedded in, in this holistic ministry of, of the church. Now, I feel like halfway through, I almost need to make some of the disclaimers and the qualifications uh, right, right now. Um, that's why we're kind of laying this groundwork here. Uh, two weeks ago, I know that Ruth, uh, I think that I went and listened to that again, and the heart of that message was just, again, destigmatizing, bringing forward the issues of mental health and wellness in regards to our faith and our common life together. Last week, I started what I'm going to call sort of the trinity of spiritual wellness for health and mind, because we talked about fixing our minds on Christ in Christ from that passage from Philippians. What I love about that is that kind of just twofold meaning of that. We fix our thoughts on the things of Christ. And I hope you set this to memory. I hope you engaged in this this past week. What are we to fix our minds on? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is, ad I heard somebody said, dang, somebody's working on it. So hey, let them be a springboard. Do you have to get everyone perfect? Yes, you do. Memor no, um, you, let that be a springboard into the things that we fix 
our minds on. What a great way to start the day. But I think literally, and here's me speaking anecdotally, I do think that is a part of the process of then quite literally fixing our minds, bringing healness, bringing restoration to our thought process. I love how God has embedded in the spiritual disciplines and devotions and the rhythm of life that he calls us to how many things that bring wellness. So let me just tell you now where this is going. For the next two weeks today and, and next week, I'm going to give equally as boring or expected <laughs> or as common applications as a pastor could possibly give. Last week, the application was wake up, do your devotions, say a prayer, read your Bible, um, make some affirmations of faith, commit your mind, commit yourself again to the Lord. Again, pretty, pretty normal for a pastor to ask people to do that. But I hope that last week we were able to provide some new insights, a new understanding of just how much wellness, health, healing, wholeness that can bring into our lives. And again, what does God have embedded in, in the practice of his people? Things that bring blessing and wellness. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to ask you to, and this is going to be a big surprise. No, I'm going to ask you to be committed to a group. Like Jesus was committed to the 12. He had them numbered. He had them named. He knew them. They knew him. They were doing life together. I'm asking you to commit to doing life together so that you can be named, known in the context of a community. And then next week, I'm gonna talk to you about some of the implications and the beauties and blessings of worship. There's wonderful new science. Now they're calling it the, um, the kind of the, the science of awe. There's, there's whole fields of, of research now saying, awe is this essential human experience. Well, guess what? You know, forever God's people have come in with awe and wonder, with joy and praise to worship God. So we're gonna again have these very normal built into the rhythm of God's people kind of applications, but I love how so much of modern science, social sciences is just reinforcing this brings wellness in so many deep, deep ways. Okay, so with that said, uh, here's today's passage. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, the kind of the invitation to get known and into a group here. I'm gonna go to First Peter because uh, the other month we started working through some of these passages in Peter. And this one just tied in perfectly with the themes I wanted to get into today. Um, here it is. So First uh, Peter chapter 2 is starting at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Here's what I want to really zero in on for us to reflect on this morning. But you, you, and please see you as a part of that you, but you are a chosen people. Say, I'm chosen. chosen. I, I, all right, I love it. I love when you participate with me. A royal priesthood. Say, I'm royalty. 
Come on, keep it up. Keep it up here. There's four. Say, a holy nation. God's special possession. You are special. And I'm not saying that to be, to be silly. You are special. You are God's special, chosen, royal, holy possession. You, he's bringing you and me, all of us together in this, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, we're going to talk about that in a moment. Once you were a no people, you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of our Lord. Amen. Amen, friends. Well, Paul, uh, uh, Peter, sorry, covers a lot of territory right there, right out of the gate. He begins, of course, with some reflections now moving into the ministry of Jesus Christ. And of course, he says, Jesus is the foundation. He lays the foundation for our salvation by laying down his own body that was raised to new life. So he's kind of building this analogy of laying the groundwork for life. Uh, then he kind of moves that metaphor, a living stone. What? But that conjures up the beauty of the idea of resurrection. God take, can take dead people and make them spiritually alive. God can resurrect things. God's, that's the work of God, resurrection life. So he's not just a stone, he's this living stone. Of course, he wants to be honest. He's being very transparent. Some people embrace the foundation that Jesus lays. Some people hear the story of Jesus. It enlivens and awakens faith. They surrender their life to Jesus. They step into resurrection life. They move forward in faith and community together. It's a beautiful thing, but some people, they reject it. Some people reject, they stumble over the story of Jesus Christ. But then he kind of quickly transitions into, but here is the reality now that Peter wants us to understand. And Peter, of course, is seeing this happen now for the past 30 or so odd years of ministry. The gospel, the kingdom of God, the church is expanding, it's growing, it's welcoming new people. Remember, he's writing this letter to people scattered throughout modern-day Turkey, throughout Asia. And as it scatters and grows, there's, of course, the possibility for fracturing, for division, for differences. But he quickly turns the corner to say, but even as the church and this gospel, this kingdom movement is growing, which it was called to do, which is a part of the mission from the very beginning, it was always intended to go out and to touch every image bear in all of creation. We have to now also be coming together in unity. And remember, we are the chosen people. You are royalty now in Jesus Christ. You are a holy nation, holy Hagia saints. You are saints in and through the work of Jesus Christ. You are the special people that God is doing something special in and through these are these are beautiful invitations of God bringing us together as one and so we see the plan of God is to make us a very interconnected people you have to love how he again calls it out he says once you were not a people but more literally I just noticed once you it says once you were no people which just kind of the, the abruptness of it just kind of has to strike you. Once you were a no people, you were just individually sort of, it's that image of just the individual floating out there alone without the foundation of Jesus Christ, without people around them. But now I want you to see that you are a people and a people being knit together through your union in Jesus Christ. 
always remember, always remember that whenever you put your life in Jesus Christ and I put my life in Jesus Christ, we find ourselves together in Jesus Christ. We become bound together in and as the body of Christ. Now, amen and amen. I mean, just let it sit, let it land. Now we're gonna unpack a little bit of some of the beauties and the blessings of that, but let's also be honest about some of those hardships of becoming a people together. Because I'm not gonna sell you a false bill of goods. There's a lot of beauty and blessing in being the body of Christ together but it comes with some trials, it comes with some hardships, but there's a beauty on the other side of it. Again, I wanna just spend a little time in the social sciences because the social sciences are in many ways, I think, catching up with what God has revealed from, from the foundations. Many of us are familiar with the work of Brene Brown. Uh, she wrote a book many years ago uh, now um, called Rising Strong as a Spiritual Practice. And in that, she talks about loving definitions, which she must really love definitions because she just came out with a book called Atlas of the Heart, which is a really good reference tool for a lot of uh, behavioral social science uh, kind of learnings. Um, but this is her definition of spiritual. Her definition of spiritual is connections. I was like, she stole that from me. She needs to give me credit. She needs to reference me in her book. She didn't. I'm, 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 I'm horrified. No, she talks about being spiritual is being connected. I didn't invent this. She didn't invent this. These are the things that people are, are knowing and seeing and calling out and pointing out more and more. Being spiritual is being connected to God, yes, but it's also feeling a connection with one another with other people. Spiritual is being connected with the creation itself. And we talked a lot about that last week. The goodness, the beauty, the aliveness of God's creation that we connect to. But she lands on this then. And she says this, I want you to hear this definition. Um, I'll, I'll put in some social media and stuff this, this week because you'll probably like this one. She writes this, we are hardwired to connect with others. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives, and without it, there is suffering. <laughs> Say it again here. We are hardwired, we are hardwired to connect with others. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives, and without it, there is suffering. Uh, let me put it this way. Um, you aren't just starving for attention, you're starving for connection. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you broken. It doesn't make you dysfunctional. It doesn't make you ill because you long for deep and profound connection, meaning purpose with other people. It makes you tapping into and recognizing what was created in you from the very foundation. And to recognize that, to lean into that, to do something about it, to work towards that connection is, of course, the smartest, the wisest, the best, the most healthy thing that any of us can do. We were made, we long for this connection. Here's the other thing that I read this week. Um, I subscribe to Arnold Schwarzenegger's weekly newsletter, and I am proud of it, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's just a fascinating individual to me, and he has certainly had his ups and downs, his, uh, his, his failures and his successes. Um, but he's, he's uh, moving forward and trying to provide some really good um, helps and research and stuff. And so this one caught my attention, a little newsletter he put out. Uh, he, he, said, he said, what's the title was something like, what's worse than smoking 15 cigarettes a day, kind of dot, 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 and he opened the newsletter, and the answer was being alone. 
Now, now let me just read for you, of course, what the research is so you don't think I'm making this stuff up. I think this is just, just fascinating stuff. Um, research from three different universities were studying the impact of social isolation and unhappiness in older individuals. Older now being 50 and over like me. So. Amen, all right, sister, let's go get our AARP cards. That would be awesome, man. I want my discounts. Nobody gives me discounts yet. I'm like, I thought I got discounts now, but anyways. Anyways, this is what they said. Uh, if you were experiencing that social isolation, you had a 30% higher likelihood of a heart disease and a 50% increase of developing dementia. But there's more, there's more. The research indicated a new, uh, so the end, somehow then they get to this. It's like smoking 15 cigarettes a day or having six drinks um, daily. Uh, the isolation that individuals may experience creates a domino effect of mental and physical illness. So it creates that domino effect. Said if you are being socially isolated, you're less likely to have uh, socially isolated. You don't have social interactions, but then you're less likely to get out and get fresh air. You're less likely to be exercising. You're less likely to eat well because you're going to be more likely to eat prepackaged, manufactured food. So they just were we're studying these the, these kind of connections then of so, of social. Isolation, And of course, then the idea of, uh, of the research was, we're not telling you to go smoke and, <laughs> and drink excessively, of course, but what we're telling you is, if you are socially isolated, it could cost you your life. If you are socially isolated, it could cost you your life through heart disease, through dementia, or just through an early demise because of the domino effect of poor health practices uh, that begin to trickle down from that. We know we are longing for connection. The sciences, we know we're made for connection. We know the sciences are reflecting the importance of connection. But let me jump to where my mind goes and where some of your mind goes. And it might be this, it might be this. Yes, I know I want deep, meaningful relationships with my family, with my friends, with my neighbors, with my church, but it's terrifying. Vulnerability, being vulnerable, embracing the vulnerability of others, being transparent, being honest, being honest about our struggles, being honest about our imperfections, being honest about our own dysfunctions, being honest about maybe our addictions, being honest about brokenness that we experienced in our childhood, maybe being honest about trauma or abuse that we've experienced. May being honest about abuse, bullying, trauma that we caused others that haunts us. It's terrifying. It's terrifying to bring that kind of transparency and vulnerability into community, into connection, into relationships. But the price of not entering into some of those is simply too much. It's simply too much. I know, I know we can be haunted by the thought of saying, what will they think? What will they do? How will they judge me if I truly open up about these things? But the invitation as Brene Brown and others get into is saying the risk, the risk of not going there, the risk of not moving in those directions, the risk of not nurturing those kind of relationships 
the cost is just too great. And we as the people of God, now here becomes more of the spiritual applications. We as the people of God, we as the people who truly are invited daily to forgive and be forgiven, to accept the forgiveness of Christ and to extend the forgiveness of others, to believe that resurrection can happen, that new creation can happen, that we can be transformed and made new. We need to be a people leading the way in that kind of transparency and openness and vulnerability. Um, and here's where I start to get a little nervous myself because in my notes, I, I only have here 2020 story. I'm just gonna tell you a little bit about my journey the last three years. When 2020 hit, it wasn't the pandemic. It wasn't the pandemic that was really hard for me. Our family was going through something and it was very difficult. I'm not getting into the details of that because it's not my story to share the difficulties that it brought into our family. But Robin and I, we lost our foundation. We lost our moorings. We lost our bearing. We were scared. We were terrified. We didn't know how this story was going to play out. We didn't know where it was going to end. And we didn't know where we were going to be with members of our family whom we knew and loved dearly. And we shared some of these struggles with a group of people that we are doing community with. We had agreed through the pandemic that we would continue to have our little pod. Remember the little pods? I'm gonna lighten the air a little bit. Remember doing pods together? Everybody was to keep their little pods. So we had our little pod and we were doing community together. And we opened up and we shared with the group what we were going through. And in the course of about a month or a little bit more, Almost every one of those people unfriended us on Facebook and left our group and left our church. And we were angry. Oh, we were angry. I was so angry for so long. And we were so hurt. We were so broken. We thought we, we trusted, we were vulnerable, we opened up. And this is what we got in return. There's a lot more I could share, but I'm gonna share a quote that Robin put on a little card at our wedding 26 years ago this week. Woohoo! 26 years on the 17th. She had a little quote in one of our uh, table settings. And it was a quote by Anais Nin. <clears throat> and it said this And then the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. And then the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. As we are going through some of that hurt, some of that pain, some of that anger, some of that sadness, some of that loss, which is due part of the course of life, we just came to that point where we realized we can't remain in the tight bud of isolation and self-protection. We have to risk blossoming again. We have to embrace friendship again. We have to embrace community again. We have to embrace vulnerability again. We have to embrace transparency again. We have to embrace being part of the body of Christ again in a new and different way. And I'm so glad we've taken that chance, that risk to blossom and to blossom in the community. 
Because jumping to the end, I'll just see, I see connections blossoming in ways that I could have never imagined happening before. Blossoming in ways of inclusion and diversity. And uh, I mean, just we've become such a beautiful community. And I just want to keep seeing us blossom so much moving forward in community. Let me end, let me end with this. Let me um, invite the band to come forward. And they're going to get ready to take us out. Uh, that's always my cue to kind of wrap things up. I almost feel like I've said this, I know, uh, in our membership class, and I preach this whenever I um, preached on the signs of belonging, and we talked about membership. This is almost like, you know how we see these pharmaceutical commercials, and at the end, they have to give this disclaimer, and they're like, oh, like, may, may cause baldness, and uh, halitosis, and chlorophobia, and... That's a fear of clowns, by the way, if anybody's wondering what chlorophobia is. You know, like, like they have to give this disclaimer of things that might happen. I, I, I know I've said this before because I almost feel like I have to give this as a disclaimer because I know we're wired for, connect, for connection. I know you want connection, but I know connection and community is a risk. But this has been studied. People have observed how this happens. And I've shared this before from Scott Peck, and he talks about how do you achieve true community? And he simply says this, true community, it doesn't just happen. It's not just overnight. It's just not just something that you just step into and there it is all of a sudden, true community. He says, no, it's a process. And he says, here's how the process works. He says, here's where it starts. It always starts here, pseudo community, pseudo community. What's pseudo community? We're all friends, we're all fine. I'm fine, I'm fine, we're all fine. We're, and everybody gets along and everything's hunky-dory, everything's cupcakes and sprinkles. It's a bed of roses forever, right? No, that's pseudo-community. That's that beginning, that's that first stage. That's that, uh, your first couple dates with somebody when you think they can do no wrong. You know, I mean, that, that's just, that's just, that's, that's a lie. It's false, it's pseudo, it's not the real thing because you're all just putting up that facade. You're just putting up that front. What inevitably happens, he calls it the tunnel of chaos. Because pseudo-community avoids conflict, the tunnel of chaos is when the first conflict, the first difficulty, the first trial, the first hard thing happens. And he just observes this. He says, here's what happens in the tunnel of conflict. Most people, they just bail. They just jump. They say, whoa, this just got real. Real is hard, real isn't easy, I'm out. And they jump to the next pseudo community. And in today's world, my observation is this, with social media, with these online groups, that can be helpful. I'm not going to say they're all bad all the time, but it's so easy to just keep jumping from pseudo community to pseudo community to pseudo community, or we could call it virtual community. You know, we just keep jumping from community to community. And anytime something hard happens, we just jump to the next one. It says, but if you don't jump to the next one, what you have to do is go through that tunnel of chaos and you have to go to emptying, where you empty yourself of some of those expectations you had of other people, where you ask other people to maybe empty some of the expectations of your perfection that they had on you. You let go of some of your preconceived ideas and notions of what community and connection really looks like. And then you can enter true community. And what Scott Peck didn't uh, write about, but what I write about, what I observe because I get to be the pastor here, is once again, Jesus showed us this so clearly. 
Jesus took on flesh and blood. He came into the world and he looked around at the religion of the world and the religious leaders and looked at what people were. And he said, pseudo community, I'm sorry, my friends, you're just going through the motions of religious ritual and practice. And he welcomed them to go into a tunnel of chaos to see himself as the son of God, the one who would bring salvation, the one who would bring the words of life, the one who said, no man comes to the father except through me. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. I am the way and the truth of life. He created chaos in his ministry. But you know what else he did? Philippians tells us that he, more than anyone else, emptied himself. He was the one who showed us what it was like to empty himself, to deny the glories of heaven, take on the flesh and the blood and these frailties of humanity. And then Jesus invites us to true community. We should do communion again, but I knew we wouldn't have time. We did it last week. That's what communion embodies so beautifully. Come into the true community. Come into the true community of your union with me. And with me, the union you have with one another. That's what it's always been pointing to, friends, right? That true community of our union with Jesus Christ. Let me say a prayer, and then the invitation is there. I know it's scary. I know it's frightful. I know it can be troubling, and I know it's not easy. But here, I know we can find true community in Jesus Christ. Let's pray, friends. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you, to sing your praises, to bring our prayers this Mother's Day to go to your word and for me as the pastor to be real to be honest to be vulnerable i thank you for bringing so many of us through tunnels of chaos in our own lives in so many ways and i know everybody here could tell their own story but lord i pray that you keep bringing us to the true community that we have as the people of christ through you jesus our savior lord we pray this in your name Let's worship.